Okay, everybody, uh, this is George Ortega. Welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm here with David Joseph, Chandler Klebs, and Jamie Soden. And today we're going to be talking about Buddhism as it relates to free will. Um, specifically within Buddhism, there's two beliefs we want to explore. The first belief is that there's such a thing called karma that basically means that the actions that we performed in past lives or in past days and past years will determine basically how the, the universe rewards us or punishes us. In other words, like if we did some, some acts that might be defined as good or moral in the past or in a past life, we would be rewarded for them in this life. And if we did, you know, acts that weren't so good, we would be punished. And they base this understanding on the principle of cause and effect. They acknowledge that everything has a cause, that, you know, cause and effect is what governs the universe. However, like the um, Buddhists will often nonetheless assert that we have free will. And, and I read up on this one time, and I think one answer to this that I um, discovered was that in Buddhism, sometimes what they, they have two kinds of truths. One truth they refer to as kind of like the absolute truth, but then the other kind of truth is referred to the conventional truth. And so the absolute truth is like how things actually are. And like, for example, that would relate to causality. And again, like, I think they on some level understand that if everything is governed by cause and effect, that makes free will completely impossible. So that's the absolute reality. But then I think, you know, according to their philosophy, their, you know, this conventional reality is the one that we adopt in everyday life. Um, saying that that basically um yes there is cause and effect but we still have a free will now all right my take is that basically um they they're using the term free will as as a kind of i i think it's a misnomer i think the like you know who knows back when 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 buddhism was developed and all maybe like we didn't have the the level of sophisticated thought that we have now i don't know but but essentially, you know, um, I think they could have come up with a, um, a conventional understanding of reality that that conformed to the the absolute, you know, um, nature of it. Whereas um, whereas everything is causal, we don't have a free will, but we still kind of like quote unquote act as if we have free will. But but that's that's the basic, you know, in Buddhism. So they, um, you know, it's kind of contradictory. They they accept cause and effect. But then they assert that they have that we have free will. But then they they also kind of like acknowledge this this absolute reality in which we wouldn't have free will. Yeah, you know that's really interesting, George, because it sounds as if yeah they're having the absolute you know the true objective reality, but then they have this subjective social reality, and it's sort of like because Nick Vale has mentioned this in his book like about how in the in the regular world you have to act as if you have free will and i'm like what does that even mean like I, i'm really confused about it because i can't do that uh, absolute ultimate reality is all i really care about and this is why it's so hard to it's so hard to relate to people on a social level who want to go with the conventional truth like you were talking about 
So I'm not sure how in, how in the world do we approach this these contradictions that happen where there's where people are believing one thing but they're believing something else contradictory to it. Just as we know that Christianity has contradictions, Buddhism has some interesting contradictions too. Right now, Jamie, is is there part of like Buddhist philosophy that I didn't, you know, include? I mean, are there other considerations that we should be addressing? Um, yeah, there's another one that we should address: is how does our morality affect what we might become in our next life? Um, because first of all, um, mor- morality um, has, you know, the idea of morality has changed um, you know, over the centuries, hasn't it? I mean, back um, when countries were highly um, Christian, um, homosexuality was considered evil, wasn't it? But now we accept it as um, we accept it as natural. Uh, we accept it as um, you know, as long as it's like between consenting, you know, partners. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. And um, yeah, to um, ask him define morality, and then the Are second you- the second problem is how do you know what someone will become in their next life based on that. Okay, Jamie, that's excellent because like let's let's explore karma because karma is in a certain sense a justification that we deserve either, you know, our rewards or our punishment because of of our past lives or our past acts. Yeah. But so like what what you're suggesting, I mean, this is like a bit of a different angle of whether something is actually right or wrong, but whether it is right or wrong, we have to remember. So, like, let's say we did something right in our past life, and let's say the the past life we just had, you know, I don't know, and, and like, so we're being rewarded for it in this life. Yeah. But then, I mean, what, what karma has to, you know, acknowledge is that, like, that good you know, was the result of, of like, you know, something in the life before that. In other words, like, that good, um, that act in, in our past life has a cause. You know, all, in other words, so, like, so basic karma is a causal process. So, like, and what, we're, what we end up with is um, this infinite causal regress. We never get to a point where, um, where f- for example, we created ourselves. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what else is interesting about this is, well, first of all, even if you believe, like, let's say that um, you that if you're having a good life now, well, you want to know, well, what is it that I did in my past life that led to this good life now? Because I want to keep doing it, you know. And since we don't remember past lives, I I find that kind of useless. But my question is about karma, like. Is karma like a conscious entity, or is it just like some some kind of computer that, like, for every good deed you do, you get points, and you get points subtract for every bad deed you do, and that, like, certain amount of points determine what species you end up in your next life? Like, how does that work? <laughs> and the problem with people, um, quote-unquote, remembering past lives, right, because I don't believe, I don't believe that even if reincarnation is possible right um which you know who knows it might be um i don't believe people can you know carry on their memories i I believe when you die your memory you know because your brain rots and stuff i mean your your memories are going to go with it i mean your brain's destroyed basically so that means if you do have another life 
um, you start fresh. You know, all your, all your memories um, are based on what you've learned. They're, they're experiences. And um, there's, like George has been saying, there's this problem with infinite regression. regression. I mean, how many, how many past lives did we have, you know? Also with memory, I mean, we, we, we have to get maybe somewhat into the paranormal. And, all right, here's the thing, like, with the paranormal, like, clairvoyance, telepathy, psychokinesis, um, established science um, doesn't acknowledge that um, these exist. But, you know, we have to consider that established science doesn't really acknowledge that free will doesn't exist, you know. So, in other words, I say that because, like, I've, I've done research on this in the past, and Stanford University, Duke University, Princeton, each for decades had labs where they studied paranormal phenomenon. Um, and they actually came up with the results that actually it, 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 it does, you know, seem to exist. Um, for example, somebody knowing something that's going to happen in the future. Okay, now again, like we have to acknowledge, they, they acknowledge, that the research acknowledges that this stuff isn't very accurate. It's not something that, that a person can rely on because if they could, then they'd corner the stock market and, you know, like, you know, you, could, you can imagine the implications of that. But, but and, and the reason I mention this is because, like, in terms of, let's say, these, um, let's say we had a, a past life and we have no memory of it, but... The question becomes whether a memory of, of this is, is stored in what's, what's referred to as like the Kashic field, I think. I think I, I, I may have um, said that right. Akashic, um, this, this, kind of like, this kind of like aspect of reality that is like the storage mechanism for everything that happens. You know, it's kind of like our brain has a storage mechanism, so reality has. So in other words, like... I mean, I, that's, that still doesn't explain to me how someone can, like, know something that's going to happen in the future. But, um, but you know, in terms of, like, this, this memory thing, whether we can actually access um, things in our past lives, it may be that the memory isn't coming from our internal, you know, I guess, you know, a progression of lives or just, like, from us as individuals, but it's coming from this kind of, like, you know, intelligence that, that resides outside of us. But again, it's, it's getting into the paranormal. And I, I really have to, you know, like when I think about it, you know, to me, it's very, very telling that, that science so far con continues to refuse to, not, to acknowledge how absolutely impossible free will is. Okay. And so like, you know, even using Daniel Tammet as an example of this paranormal stuff, I mean, like to me, his, his being able to kind of like calculate, you know, you know, multiply two three-digit numbers, you know, and not even know how, how he did it. That, that seems kind of like quote-unquote paranormal. But, but that might be an answer, Jamie. That might be an answer to, um, to how all this is kept track of in terms of karma, you know, something that's like calculating all the acts and, and, and you know, weighing the benefits and the detriments and all. But that still doesn't give us free will because, again, this, this causal regression would, would have to be um, regress eternally. And as I've yeah. been saying, um, the concept of morality has changed throughout our evolution. I mean, um, thousands of years ago, things that are considered immoral now, I mean, that was considered back, um, the, normal, uh, the norm back um, you know, when the Romans existed. I mean, the Romans had slaves, didn't they? So. 
Um, That's a great – well, you know, here's the deal since you're mentioning the paranormal and all of that stuff. Um, the idea of the psychokinesis or the telekinesis thing was the one thing about that that always interested me, like the idea of moving objects Star Wars style where they're not touching the objects but they can move them where they want to. That was the superpower I always wanted. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Princeton did an experiment um, back. They did this for, for, I think, at least over a decade. And they had these, like, you know, there's no such thing as randomness, right? But, like, we can create a device that's called a random event generator that actually kind of, like, you know, it mimics randomness. It basically, it operates, you know, in a way that, like, it, 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 it doesn't really go to any discernible pattern, all right, so like they can create these things. They're mathematically created and all. They're not true random, but they, they approach it somehow. And so here's the thing. So like they put, you know, they had about 50 of these, you know, devices, small devices, um, and they put them in different parts of the world, different continents, different countries. And, and they had a way through the, the internet and all to, to continually monitor the activity. This is called the, the, the Princeton... Um, the pair experiment, Princeton um, Engineering Anomalies uh, Research Lab, whatever experiment, and um, anyway, so like what what they discovered is that like during major events, like for example the 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 World Soccer Cup, or during 9/11, or during some other kinds of events, even before you know like the event would happen, like a, a few hours before or something. Amazingly, these these synchronized random event generators would would actually be, become a bit more organized, you know, reflect or manifest a bit more organization than than the the randomness that they were displaying before that. So so yeah, there you know it seems to be that there is some kind of evidence for like a you know Freud or, or Jung I think um, more specifically he talked about a collective unconscious. You know, and, and so, like, there might be some kind of collective consciousness that, like, you know, that, that, that just like that we human beings, just like, for example, like our brain is comprised of billions of neurons that, you know, come together and, like, you know, form this consciousness that we, we recognize as a self. It may be that we as human beings all over the planet maybe acting as neurons for this kind of like a, a human consciousness. I mean, but, but I think the point I'm trying to make is that like, you know, just the, as science has, has refused to accept that free will is absolutely, completely impossible, you know, it tends to um, to want to refute things, you know, happening that would that seem to have been demonstrated in, in laboratories, but we have no explanation for how they happen. So I think on the basis of that, they, they seem to be rejected, you know, in that. But um, so so yeah, I um, I don't know. This the reason I think this relates to the the, the whole idea of free will is that um, oh God, um, you know. It's the basic question: If things aren't up to us, you know, whether it's in, within Buddhist philosophy or or, or um, Western philosophy, if things aren't up to us, how do we describe? How do we explain how things? What 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 is actually controlling things? Well, you know, what's interesting is that if you try to ascribe 
what's happening to anything that's being the agent controlling anything, well, then that thing you would have to ascribe free will to it. So I don't really think you'll ever find something like that, some kind of ultimately responsible thing. But I do think that this collective consciousness, collective unconsciousness of the universe is still would still be a just a just as much a possibility as our our individual consciousness of each of us. But what's interesting, George, is like since so many in the scientific community, you know, the so-called scientific community, believe in free will and try to defend free will with these stupid definitions in quantum physics, well, it just shows you how wrong science might be when it comes to other subjects. They can be wrong, and, I, and that's the thing, is that I'm willing to question anything, anything religion, politics, or science. I don't accept anything as just being um, set in stone. Well, they say this is impossible, therefore it's impossible. So I do think we need to be more open to these ideas, and so this is really interesting. Yeah, I certainly don't accept, um, you know, quantum indeterminism because, um, you know, true randomness is just not consistent with logic, is it? So, yeah, um, exactly. So uh, in other words, like, that's a great point, Jamie. So, like, Chandler, you're right. I mean, there's, like, there's some aspects of science that, like, we can't say, you know, we know for sure, whatever, but there's certain aspects of reality, you know, that, that we know for certain. For example, we know for certain that reality exists. We know for certain that reality is in motion because if reality wasn't in motion, nothing would be happening. We we wouldn't be you know having this this discussion, and so like, and again I, I'm I'm saying this to 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 say that we know com exact completely without any any um any margin of error or any you know possibility that free will is impossible because like this 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 motion that the universe manifests has to be explained by causality. In other words, like if, you, if we posit a big bang, we have to posit that the second moment the universe was caused by it and all. So it seems like there are certain aspects of science, like, you know, that, that reality exists, you know, that, that, that certain things, you know, like that quantum indeterminacy is, is conceptually incoherent. You know, we, we do have some, some, um, some, irrefutable aspects of science and I think that the challenge then is to kind of like to, to really um, to really be able to determine what in science we can be completely sure of and what in science is still open to um, to further knowledge yeah, yeah I do. yeah go ahead Jamie yeah I, I think scientists um, should redefine um, what they mean by you know um, quantum uncertainty because um, to me, right, um, it's just how us have a limited, limited knowledge and you know limited capability of predicting things. Because if things are unpredictable, that doesn't mean um, that doesn't equate to indeterminism. It just means that we have a limited understanding of how things work. Yeah, and even even that term unpredictable is is a misnomer, a misstatement. Because like in quantum mechanics, they make predictions all the time. They simply don't use classical mechanics to make the predictions. You know, they make the predictions based on probabilities. That, but they make incredibly accurate predictions. Exactly. Yeah. And since there's probability, that just shows that there's causality involved. I mean, randomness, like I said before, is smoke and mirrors. Yeah. 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 All right. So, but yeah, let's I pull this back to the. Go ahead, Chandler. Yeah. Well, what I was about to say is. Well, yeah, there's this, this idea that certain things are so demonstrably true and irrefutable. 
like causality and that we exist and the universe is emotion. So yeah, I, I we can trust those. I'm just I'm just saying that certain concepts which people dismiss offhand, you know, could potentially be questioned as to whether they're true or not. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's it. That's what we're doing with this whole free will thing. Free will is something that they obviously haven't gotten right, and you know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know, sometime within the next five, ten years, you know, we'll get to that. So let's pull this back to, again, like um, Buddhism. And, and, Jamie, you're right. This, this thing with morality. In other words, like, you know, um, slavery at, at some point in the past was condoned. I mean, my God, it's in the Bible and stuff. I mean, like, you know, so like, and um, homosexuality, different, th- different uh, things that we used to, you know, think we're wrong we now believe is right we used to think we're right we now believe is wrong and so like given that given that basically our morality is something that's handed down to us from our parents from our civilization can we truly hold anyone like karmically responsible for for anything yeah I mean, when you get down to it you you realize that the romans they're not fundamentally they're not they're not fundamentally responsible for any of the misdeeds they've done i mean back in back in then their days they got away with murder torture and all sorts but you know they're, they're not to blame because we didn't know better you know so exactly. okay, are, are, are we are we um are there other aspects of buddhism that relate to this that we haven't explored or um well i i know you've mentioned before like that there's the concept that the self is an illusion which I think kind of conflicts with these other Buddhist beliefs. Chandler, excellent. Absolutely. So, I mean, like, and that's, you know, from, you know, if there is no, in order to have a free will, I think we have to conclude that we have to have a self to attribute the free will to. Yeah. So you're right. <laughs> if, if Buddhism is acknowledging that there is no, I think what they, what they, what they more specifically say is there, there, there's no personal permanent self. You know, in other words, the self, like who we are at this very moment is different from who we were last minute. And this moment now, that's like a, a moment or two after the previous moment is different from the, from who we were. So like our self is, is constantly changing. That's one part of like our no personal self. The other part is that like we might think that we're these, you know, individuals that have, you know, we each have an individual self, whereas like, for example, like the three of you are kind of like affecting who I am. I'm affecting who, who you are. You're all, we're all affecting who we all are. So it's basically like, it, it, you know, we can't claim any kind of autonomy from, from not only other people, but from the rest of the universe. Exactly. That's more what I mean about the self being an illusion. Is because, yeah, I'll say like the self is really an illusion. And what I mean is because... There's nothing that's me that's not something else because I'm just part of the universe like anybody else. And so what happens is that you they have to have this idea that there is an individual self that's independent of the rest of causality, the rest of the universe. And that's what you would have to have for free will and which is impossible. Um, so you so basically anybody who acknowledges that free will is an illusion, can't possibly believe that you have an independently acting self. Excellent. So. Dave, David, what's been your understanding on, on like this, this idea of, of like the Buddhist non-self? Have you, are you familiar with that? 
Do you, um... Um, not really. To be honest, it started out, um, it kind of made sense when, when you were first talking about uh, karma and, um, you know, what we do uh, kind of translates to, to how we experience the world in the future. That kind of makes sense to me. Like, um, you know, if, if I treat people like an arsehole, then that's going to have a negative impact and I may pay for that later on down the line by someone being an arsehole to me. But then you, you bring into question the uh, the idea that people deserve deserve to be treated a certain way due to a past life experience. That kind of gets a bit messy for me. So, yes, I mean, that's what it's, it's like that because it's karma business, right? Um, Karma's based on deserving and undeserving. You know, it's like um, saying someone is inherently evil for, you know, doing certain things that are negative towards others. Right. Yeah, it's like saying that the um, the uh, the two-year-old that was abused by their family member must have done something bad in the past life. I, uh, that, I that's problematic, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and David, I think, yeah, I think what you're pointing out is like this this idea of karma kind of like suggests this idea of a personal self you know that that like you know that karmically progresses from lifetime to lifetime whereas like buddhists are at the same time saying there is no personal self right yeah it's completely contradictory it's, uh... yeah so do they have a self or not they can, they don't know <laughs> yeah i mean anyone with half a brain knows that you know actions have consequences but um, whether fun, someone fundamentally deserves um, these certain things is another is another matter entirely. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Um, so well, let's like we've got about um, five four minutes left. I want to like Buddhism is most fundamentally about happiness. Basically, like the Buddha could care less about you know understanding what happens after we die. You know, he, he didn't have this kind of like curiosity of like understanding the nature of reality. He was focused on, on simply like overcoming suffering. And so he's got the Four Noble Truths that basically, um, whatchamacallit, suffering is, comes from attachments. Okay, we're attached to like what we want. We, we, we think that reality should be a certain way. We want it to be a certain way. And to the extent that it's not, and it usually isn't in so many ways, then that creates this suffering, this, you know, at least the psychological suffering. So um, let's explore how, how does overcoming free will belief um, relate to an attachment? What's the attachment of the belief in free will? Well, you know, when somebody believes in free will, they become very attached to their achievements. You know, like, look at these trophies I have for winning this soccer competition. You know, look at these books I've published and look at, look at my sports car like I did it. So what they have is they have this bizarre attachment to the things, the material things they have, as well as an attachment of their ego their identity their self and and people say well your choices make you who you are so they're very attached to themselves um and so it's sort of bizarre because they are an they are attached to an illusion something that doesn't really exist they're like i'm great because i did this thing and that's about and that's i mean it's so stupid because it's sort of 
it's sort of like you know a firefighter um, who rescues people from a burning building and he's like yeah look at me I'm great I'm a hero I should be worshipped um, and I'm like well then well why not worship the fire um, that's you know why not worship the fire that was burning the building that allowed him to be the hero you know it, you just start so what happens is the dis the self dissipates your selfishness your your ego all your attachments to trying to be a certain person dissipate and then all that's left is if you're how do you feel are you happy what and then you got start getting into thinking about the meaning of life and happiness and I think we're in a similar situation. We want to reduce suffering in this world. You know, it's because we are attached to this world and we're not able to disattach ourselves from this world, except through death, of course. Then we're kind of disattached to this world. But while we're here, we want to make a difference. Yeah, exactly. some aspects of Buddhism I relate to, like um, consciousness, I mean, that's a given. We know that we're aware of our, you know, existence. And the second is, um, you know, they, they could be right. I mean, reincarnation could could actually be the one true afterlife. We just don't know because we we have no um, evidence. But um, then again, I mean, who's to say we didn't have a life before? I mean, if we were born once, what's to stop it from happening again, George? You know? Absolutely. All right, guys, we're we're about forty minutes, forty seconds left. This has been great. So basically, we're exploring, you know, like how Buddhism is is like is in certain senses, just as contradictory, you know, in, in terms of like believing in free will as, as the, the Western religions. And so like, and, and again, like, you know, in terms of like happiness, the, the goal of Buddhism, you know, if we want to like, you know, lessen our attachments that, that cause suffering, you know, overcoming free will is, is a very powerful way to do that. Okay, guys, thanks. Uh, this has been a great podcast. We'll see you again next time on Free Will, Science and Religion.